This is Audio Gyan and I am your host Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the Indian creative world. Welcome to a brand new series of Audio Gyan where are the designers. It's a 12 part series featuring few of the top influential design leaders in India talking about the process of hiring challenges in finding and retaining talent and some tips for young designers to make a cut i'm so happy and proud to introduce my co-host for this series abhinit tiwari uh, he works at gojek uh, hey abhinit welcome back hey kedar oh. happy to be here again how's it going all good all good hanging in here uh, really looking forward to talking to rahul today yes um, uh, Yep. I yeah, guess yeah. yeah, you can start with this introduction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh so yeah, today we have Rahul Gonzalez with us on Audio Gan. Uh Rahul is one of the faces of New India as Forbes called him. Uh Rahul is a co-founder of uh, Obvious, uh, a full stack design and tech studio who empowers companies to build great products and solutions. I don't have much introduction so but yeah, thanks Rahul for giving your time and it's a real pleasure to have you on Audio Gan. It's great to be here Kedar. I think great to be here talking to both you and Abhinit. Yeah yeah it's been quite some back and forth to schedule this uh, but yeah like thanks for coming and joining in. So uh, basically the premise is about where are the designers but begin that uh, before we begin I think uh, I'll I'll start with a we have a rapid fire round for this series uh, and these questions are not scripted for the listeners uh, neither for the guests so Yeah so we'll start with this are you ready for the rapid fire round no but let's go ahead anyway okay <laughs> okay your favorite uh, and then these questions are really random in no order and just random questions so this is just warm up yes just to get get used to it yeah uh, your favorite bicycle brand i am going to have to go with the first bicycle i owned which was a trek okay why do you sleep so early are uh, exhausted by the cares of the day okay and then what time do you generally wake up reluctantly i wake up at 5 or 6 am in the morning good okay uh, now this is going to be a tricky one your most pain in the ass client <laughs> are you trying to get us fired here <laughs> no comments is acceptable but should be the last recourse <laughs> yes well um i think the most difficult clients i've had have also been some of the most rewarding to work with i think uh, i'm going to single out two right or actually two people and and one client so this is way back i think probably the first mobile app i ever designed and actually i think possibly one of the first mobile apps in india uh, so i was at flipkart or i was helping flipkart out and uh, i was introduced to two people who joined about a few weeks or a month ago were they in charge of their digital platform so flipkart in 2012 was trying to build a digital music and ebook downloading service called flight yeah so i, I meet this uh, these two people who were leading the effort uh, full of life full of opinions and very very competent at what they did and uh, possibly the only clients with whom i have had a physical fight on the floor of the you know on, on the office floor right where we you know caught each other's collars yelled things at each other all because they wanted buttons at one color and i wanted to keep within the overall theme that had gone so far right wow. uh anyway long story short that particular product uh, you know it was called flight you know we launched it became really popular not successful failed died and you know went out of existence it was only later that flipkart actually built their own mobile app the two gents who were uh, spearheading that effort are today extremely famous two chaps called rahul chari and samir nigam they now run a very a small startup called phonepay small startup called phonepay great man great your longest bicycle ride my longest bicycle ride was halfway to mysore where i got really tired and i realized that uh, there was a huge amount of wind blowing me back so i stopped tried to find a bus which would take me and my bicycle back to bangalore uh what do you look in a designer attitude or aptitude 
attitude. Okay. And uh, what's your favorite interview question for a designer? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Oh. That always works. We'll do a lot of that today. Now. Yes. <laughs> uh, your favorite serif font and one stand serif font. Bodoni and Din. And, and I have I, to say like, we should have said typeface, not font Kedar. Right? Yes. Yes. I'm so sorry I, I carefully that. avoided saying anything. <laughs> I knew you noticed, Ram. Yes. What's a deal breaker for you while taking a project? Not having an aligned client where, um, yeah, not having a client who's aligned with allowing us to have influence on the final income uh, outcome. And how did obvious was so obvious? I mean, like, it, it occurred to me when I was recommending few of my people in the network that you can go to obvious and you can go to obvious. Like, Obviously, obvious. So, how did that name come about? Is is there in a backstory? Well, yeah, I, I think the backstory, well, it's long, we don't have enough time. But yeah. I think that, you know, the best design, you look at it completely obvious in hindsight, right? Never when you're at the starting line, right? And beyond that, I think I want obvious as, an, as a company or as a studio or agency or whatever you want to call it. I want it to be you know, the only choice for anybody trying to do anything on the internet uh, in 2021. Great, great. All right. I think uh, that was the rapid fire round. I mean, if you want to just take a shot at like circling back to the notes that you made from this round. Sure. So yeah, I'll be start with going back. Right. So this series is obviously about designers and hiring designers. Right. So could you take us back to the moment when you had to hire a designer for the first time or more importantly, when hiring became the top of mind, biggest challenge for you. Like, did, like was there a moment when this happened? I think um, hiring is a constant problem, right? And, uh, you know, it's going to be, I firmly believe that my colleagues are the biggest moat that we have against anyone else, right? And in fact, possibly the only moat that we have, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, hiring is some, I mean, you know, I, I think that uh, many other studios will resonate with this, but there's a huge number of people who want to do things on the internet today, right? Who are starting companies who, you know, are hearing about this word product or design for the first time yep. and, you know, reaching out to different organizations. And on the other hand, right? a supply or, you know, on the other side of the equation, there's a limited number of people who are excellent at their craft, thoughtful, right? And deeply motivated to do excellent work every single day. And they're spoiled for choice, right? They can mm -hmm. work anywhere. So I think every single day, you know, this is one of the first things on my mind, right? How can we make working at Obvious attractive? And how can we, you know, be innovative in the way that we reach out and find people in the world? Sure. That was going to be my follow-up about how do you actually plan sourcing designers or how do you think about where to find designers or how do you reach out to them and tell them, hey, Obvious is hiring and Obvious exists. And has that changed over the years? Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, it's changed hugely, right? The way that we look at it. I think firstly, right, you're setting yourself up for failure if you sort of start thinking about where to find designers when you need them, right? You have to build your networks and, you know, the awareness of your own company well, well in advance, right? Mm -hmm. And so even when we're not hiring, we're hiring in some sense, right? So how do you make sure that you're known as a place which is attractive on whatever aspect, right? On the aspect of finances, on the aspect of craft, on the aspect of the choice of kinds of work, uh, mentorship, what have you, right? Sure. Uh, so we spend a lot of effort thinking about how we can be competitive as a, you know, tiny bootstrapped business rather than a funded company. And so... I think that, you know, what we spend a lot of effort versus, you know, seeking particular places to hire from is saying, how can we become a bigger and better magnet for talent constantly? And then, you know, create the right kinds of filters, which ensure that people who are aligned with 
the kind of studio we want to be are then, you know, drawn to it and then come in. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of how we look at talent. Apart from that, you know, of course, I think all the regular things, right? We design schools, you know, other, we have a sort of a white list of other product companies and other agencies, which are, you know, good places to talk to. You know, I think Twitter is the new LinkedIn. That's where we've been, (laughs) that's where we've been remarkably successful at finding people. And um, yeah, I think, I think there are lots of new kinds of spaces where designers congregate today. Uh, and I think there is that sense, that meta community, which is being built today, right? Whether it's on Twitter spaces or Clubhouse or where have you. Uh, and then, you know, it's just a matter of being present there at, at regular set cadences. Sure. Mm, interesting. But um, so the question is then, what sort of um, incentives uh, are in place uh, to be that sort of a magnet? Uh, because uh, these days you have the ESOP model and and multiple types of um, ways to retain or at least like attract talent for MNCs and startups. So is there any differentiator that you can highlight which gets you the talent? Sure. So I look at incentives almost like a, you know, a Maslow's hierarchy of incentives, right? There are, you know, foundational stages, which you have to take care of before you can start talking about the other stages, right? And today, the reality is that if you're not able to, I mean, you have to be able to get to at least, let's say, 80% of what everybody else is able to pay, right? 80, 85%. That's, That's a minimum baseline. I think, you know, this is a very different situation from 10, 15 years ago, where, you know, people were just glad to have a job, right? Today, especially engineers, designers, people in the sort of startup product ecosystem know about opportunities, know about the possibilities, etc. So the first thing that you have to do is to make sure that you're paying well and that you, you know, your compensation strategy is competitive, transparent, and you know, sort of equitable, right? So that's that's at a baseline. How do we compete, right? Because we are very much a David amongst the Goliaths in in some sense. So I think. Honestly, like, you know, one thing is one way to win the game is not to play it in some sense. So, (laughs) but apart from that, right, I think one of the things that's nice about where we are at is that we can really emphasize craft, right? And really say that, hey, listen, do you want to be really, really good at what you do? Do you want a space which encourages you to do that and rewards you for doing that? Obvious is that space, right? The second thing, and you know, this is sort of, uh, for me, at least it was, it was a bit of a eye opener. I didn't realize this until somebody on my team pointed it out to me. They'd come in from India's biggest food delivery company, right? Without naming names. Hmm. And she told me, she's like, you know, it's crazy here. I have a bigger team of designers, peers, and colleagues who I can learn from and, you know, give me great feedback than I did at this company, which has raised like, you know, $3 billion, $4 billion, right? Yep. So I think that as a studio, you can be much larger than a product company's uh, design team, because, you know, you're working on many different things. You're, and not just that, you often have a greater homogeneity of levels, because you often don't have, you know, a, sort of a very wide pyramid of, of, you know, executors versus, you know, design leaders. Uh, you like we at least want to have people who are able to hold their own uh, when they you know go and consult within any of these large companies, right? So you get that benefit of multiple perspectives, tons of feedback, and you know sort of people not afraid to sort of call you out on any aspect of the work that you do. Right? Then the obvious thing is you know just the range of work, right? One team is working on you know how do you make a complex field like insurance, really, really simple, right? How do you, I don't know, figure out how to combat vaccine hesitancy or, you know, somebody else is doing, you know, a project on how do you make uh, driver partners or rider partners earn more money, right? So this is all happening simultaneously. And these all change every, you know, nine, 12, 15 months, right? So you get that huge range, right? Like we have literally seen every single wave of whatever, like, you know, anything that has, you know, tech as a suffix, right? Edutech, fintech, healthcare tech, milk tech, grocery (laughs) tech, whatever there is, right? We've seen them all and we've probably designed one of those applications, right? So you you can work on any of those things. I think the last thing is just, you know, 
and this is where we have a little bit of an advantage over just a space for designers, right? Where we anchor hugely on the ability to influence outcomes, right? Because we're being brought in specifically to change outcomes. We are, you know, encouraged to and rewarded for being able to drive multiples of outcomes, right? Not just the craft. So for us, the craft is the base. So that's the core of what we do. But influencing outcomes is the, is the end game. So I think those are some of the things that we emphasize when, you know, as a, as a incentive to join us. Yeah. But traditionally, if I may call agency, they were not considered as outcome uh, kind of model. They're mostly like uh, yellow Figma files, yellow sketch files. And then, so you want to just briefly tell us uh, what, like, how did you manage to see the entire cycle and not just act as an agency? Abhinit, if that's not digressing. From it's topic. not, I know. nothing is digressing here. So <laughs> let, let, let it flow. Yes. Sure. I mean, so maybe, you know, I don't know where this comes from, honestly, right? Like maybe it's just the fact that I'm sort of a self-taught designer. So I, I wasn't, I've never been sure of what the boundaries of this field are, right? Where does A end and where does B begin, right? Yeah. So for instance, you know, a lot of people, and even today, honestly, right? I have no idea what the difference between UX, UI, product, motion, visual designers are. I'll come to that later. Yeah. Product designers, whatever, right? Like there are plenty of titles. 13 as of now. 13. Okay. I'm glad you made it. (laughs) I just now got to know there's something called as prototyper. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's great, right? I, I think it's great that there's, you know, this specialization as well. But I've always been just really, really interested in seeing our work out in people's hands, right? For the longest time, our website has been really, really terrible, uh, mostly because I was anchoring the effort to actually design it, right? So what I would say often in sales calls is that our portfolio, it's on your phone, right? It's not on our website. And I think for me, that's the most exciting thing, right? To see our work out in the world and to see it actually influencing something, you know, what I call the bits to atoms journey, right? How are, you know, these digital pieces, how are those moving things in the real world, right? So that for me is the most interesting thing. And I think we've just drawn people who are similarly oriented around that. I love the focus on craft. I think that's a message I see again and again from everything you folks do. And it's clearly visible. And something resonated, Rahul, like a lot of designers I meet, this is a common thing across industry. Like as you grow, for you know higher and higher people expect you to let go of more and more of the craft stuff right you saying that i can totally understand that in an agency that's less of a demand right but the scale that you're at and i'm sure you're thinking of growing obvious further do you think it's the scale that at some point will make it unavoidable to demand the same of some of your designers does this worry you well So, you know, it's very possible to look around in the world and see ways in which you should be, right? Mm -hmm. Ways in which an agency should be structured, ways in which, you know, and whatever, right? Like UX designer should stick in to her lane or or whatever it is, right? And um, I think we, every two years, right? I don't know whether it's just because as designers, we are a sort of a reflexive bunch, right? We're constantly navel gazing, etc. But we constantly go back and say, hey, listen, are we having fun still? right? That's constantly like a North star that, that we have up. And I think, you know, the most fun I've had are when it's, you know, small autonomous teams, which I'm empowered to go out and do something right. And Mm -hmm. aren't worried about, Hey, listen, you know, no, that's the engineer's job or no, that's the support guy's job. Right. I remember, you know, one time getting so frustrated with this Android engineer that I was working with at my clients that I, you know, just ended up going in and figuring out how to write Android layouts and, you know, build the thing that I wanted to see. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, just the understanding that design does not end at the screen, right? The experience or the quality of say the interaction that somebody has with your support or, you know, with your customer support is as much a determinant of how somebody perceives and remembers your brand as it is with, you know, that shiny logo redesign that you did last week, right? Uh, And so are you, you know, I think just constantly anchoring around these, right? Small teams, how can we create a structure which scales 
which allows for people to continue to be have these small teams, right? Where mm-hmm. you're able to have really authentic, honest relationships with, you know, maybe five or six people whom you're working with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, within this really tight-knit team, can you go out and do something really magical, right? Mm-hmm. And I've been surprised so much by how how much a tiny team can, you know, do, right? You talk about these okay. billion-dollar companies and, you know, there's six people within that who drove like a ridiculously outsized result, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. I can keep pulling threads out of that, but Kedar. Yeah. No, you, Sorry, you I, I think I didn't answer. Some... I think there was one question you didn't answer, right? About the IC versus manager sort of thing, right? No, I was uh, just, yeah. <laughs> I was just saying like, does that worry you? Because that's, I see a lot of, a lack of ICs in general, right? When I look around and it's not just India, right? Like even when I talk to designers in the West, everybody's kind of uh, mourning the fact that, you know, you, at one point you have to, kind of give up craft like that's and it's not just design also it's engineering as well right so i think you answered it in a way you know by sticking to smaller teams you negate the need for that manager i mean i think that you know i'm probably misquoting right but uh, i think uh, warren buffett says right uh, show me the incentives and i will tell you the outcomes right (laughs) sure Uh, And so, you know, your system is merely a reflection of the incentives that you structure it with. We've been very, very careful to say that, hey, listen, we want to be able to enable growth as a, as a craftsperson. Hmm. And, you know, that should not be capped at a point and beyond which you have to move into management. So we have a sort of a parallel IC management track, probably very similar to what you do. And so I think, I think that's just a reflection of, you know, what your business needs and what you believe in as a sort of a philosophy, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've talked to some people in this series in the past where some people also shared the fact that, you know, the business also in general, these days at least, uh, doesn't seem to need a lot of craft. <laughs> they, they seem to need a lot of movement in other areas more than, you know, they need excellence in, say, their typography or excellence in, uh, you know, the interactivity of their product. Is that something you've seen? Like, because in my experience, right, and you'll remember this because you've been around for that long. When we were back in the days when we were making apps, which were sold on App Store for $5 a piece, right? And when you were making those apps, your $5 app had to be better than any other $5 app on the App Store, right? The transition from that to now app as a conduit for a service, right? Do you think, and I'm sorry for putting words in your head, but do you think that transition has not been so kind of craft required in building software? Well, actually, I I think that one thing that's, you know, it's very easy to do a back in my day, uh, you know, everything was great and, and, you know, all of that, right? But one of the things I genuinely believe is that we've seen huge growth, right? Just in the size of our industry and the intersects that it now has with all pieces of the real world, right? Mm -hmm. The physical and digital worlds are now, I would say, probably inextricably intermingled, right? And so you're going to see a lot of tons of different kinds of designers as well, right? You're going to see like a huge demand for people who can basically build tons and tons of CRUD apps, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, right? I think it's great, right? Somebody who can use Balsamic and, uh, you know, possibly has never heard of Figma or Sketch, can call themselves a designer. And I say more power to that person, right? At the same time, I do believe that the world becoming larger, right? The ponds becoming larger, becoming, you know, lakes, becoming oceans, means that there is space for that greater depth and craft as well, right? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be rewarded for doing the same things that we did 10 years ago? Possibly not, right? You may find that, you know, to have a deep craftsperson role, you need a particular kind of infrastructure. You need to be at a certain kind of company, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, right? But I think it's also, you know, Apple is no longer the place where you go to, let's say, you know, you are at the top of your field. You no longer can just need to go there. Yep. There are, you know, 20 companies. And the best thing is that, you know, they're not all in the US, right? They're in China, they're in India, they're all over the world. And um, yeah, so I think that, you know, sort of this expansion of opportunities offers greater depth for craftspeople to sort of explore. I think the real thing is that for a good craftsperson, unfortunately, now they're, I mean, not unfortunately, but they can be really, really well rewarded now. Mm. 
and you know in being leadership right so sure. that's a sort of a personal choice that we all have had to make at some point in time i'm guessing right so we've said oh you know i could be you know messing around with type and i could be being paid probably better than i was earlier yeah but now i'm being paid so much more if i make sure that you know my company hits certain okrs <laughs> yeah yeah in fact to uh, uh, abhinit what you mentioned uh, i i remember one audio gan episode with march t i believe uh, yeah. It, yeah so like i asked the same question to them that you guys are just building uh, or making t-shirts it's so good in quality is it because of the scale or like tomorrow if you have like a complete lineup of clothing or whatever accessories and stuff like that do you think that you'll maintain the same quality yeah to that i think i had a very nice like those guys had a very nice answer was that if you give time i think the people who are actually shipping if you train them correctly and give adequate time you can have both you can have scale but it's just the function of time also i think so so i don't know whether that's connecting anywhere but i thought i'll it does uh, so studio march for those who know studio march used to be a software yes. design and software consultancy and they used to be a client of mine Yeah. and i wouldn't say anything but what rahul said like you know the pain in the ass clients are the best clients mm-hmm. i i had a lot of debates and fights with those guys but i ended up doing some of the best work that i've ever done with those people yeah. cool uh, just coming back to the main uh, topic we took a small tangent but yeah uh, so rahul like you you mentioned about attracting talent and so just if you can give some actually not some but maybe like top 3 qualities uh, that you look in a designer while hiring or even for that matter while asking a particular designer in your team to work on a particular project both ways if you can just how do you evaluate those things sure i think you know one sort of side effect of of you know like i said right the explosion of of design opportunities and of this industry is that there's lots of people who are coming into it right and which i yep. long term think is a great thing at the same time you do have to how do you filter right for the kinds of people that you want right yeah. so i think we look for and you know at a very very broad level is this somebody who's here because it's exciting way to make more money right or it's a profession or how do you filter for somebody for whom this is their calling in some sense right apart from that yeah i think you know how do you find people with a certain degree of honesty right i think there's so many people who are like yes we know exactly what you know we know how to do this or you know we know the answer to this yeah. that you know finding people who have the humility slash honesty to say i i'm not sure or i don't know but you know i'm going to figure this out i think that's a great characteristic that we look for right apart from that yeah you know just how do you filter for work ethic right the completeness of a solution sort of the intellectual curiosity that's pushed somebody to think through an entire you know range of scenarios and then you know just that polish right i don't want to see 300 screens but you know if i can see a screen or two or you know just a solution or whatever it is right like um, maybe you know insight that's been harvested from research right which sort of shines right that comes across right and i think those are the things that i would want to see regularly right and that stands out you can you can sort of spot that from a mile off yeah very interesting one thing i'm going to give uh, myself a credit of this series is that my hiring skills have definitely improved i've been reflecting <laughs> on it and i've been hiring uh, in my current profile and and it's like yeah i mean it has just helped me articulate what i've been doing but just sort of a bit better and more structured way of of yeah. evaluating people yeah So Rahul, out of those things that you mentioned, which one do you think is rarest? You know, to kind of get hold of, like, which is the one thing you think you have the highest failure rate on? That I get everything else, but this one thing, very few people have it. I think that. Um, so you know, if I were to add to that, I would say, oh, you know, design unicorns, right? We want those, right? People who can. But I mean, let's leave that aside because that's stupid, actually. I think that you know the ability to find somebody who is great at valuing their own work and who remains honest and you know has that sort of ability to question themselves right I think for me that's you know like if we get 100 whatever candidates or whatever that's the thing which is possibly hardest to find 
right? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Interesting. What is Can it for we, you? What's it for me? I think I'll comfort with ambiguity, right? Like that's that's one thing that you know. It's not just that it's difficult to find, but I struggle with. That's one of the things I can't see from a mile away. right it takes me a lot of prodding and questioning and a lot of conversations to figure out like does this person you know listen to the problem falls for the problem that oh i like this problem and do they fall for it enough that they'll be able to figure their way you know out of it that's really hard because everything else being equal sometimes you know people have you know, some people are just more comfortable with everything you know being decided right so for yeah. example like for most products it works but sometimes you have product design problems where you have to find out what will work for the customer right it's not clear like the product market fit isn't there right and the team yeah. is trying to figure out what will work so there are very few designers i feel and this thing is very hard to judge as well cool and this is more of a yeah tactical question but just i hope that like people from different experience backgrounds this into this so just to understand your bit also that what like what do you look in a portfolio as well i mean the thing which you said that it shines right um, so i i don't want to be very specific about the question but yeah it generally you get a feel right so is it just behance page just posters is it like great animation on dribble or is it like a medium post any preference or any insights from different types of uh, evaluating portfolios well i mean honestly you know the platform is for me a you know smaller consideration the kind of work will depend on what role we're hiring for right if i'm hoping to find you know a great motion designer then you know of course i want to see a range of the work that they have done if i'm looking for an illustrator then i want to understand i want to see like a range of their maybe you know their work or you know types of styles that they have right or i want to see you know how comfortable they are with metaphor and how they've translated a brief etc if i'm looking for you know somebody who is heavier on let's say research then you know perhaps i want to see an articulation of of let's say the problem first and then the solution i think within portfolios one thing is you know i think the unfortunate reality is that it's impossible to go through like 20 projects right as for somebody who's hiring right and i would give much much heavier weightage to i mean like i've seen some fantastic designers who've literally had one case study right and that was enough right yep. so i would say that it's great that you know there's this range that you have you need to edit right as a designer right that's the biggest thing right you know in the same way that you know what is common to every photograph the frame right so you need to you need to edit yourself very very strongly i think that within that how do you put your best foot forward right have you made sure that you know you have to be very careful right are you if you're applying as a generalist right then i want to be able to see that you've done a little bit of understanding of the problem i want to see that you've uh, thought of multiple perhaps options i want to see how you validated maybe some of the solutions that you put together and then once you've zeroed in on one i want to see how you've translated that into you know a visual outcome right if you're a researcher then you know i don't care about i mean then don't you know try and spend effort on the visual outcome right i'm not going to be ev- evaluating you on that uh, basis at all but then show me you know your your show me your working really right so i think that there are those two things and the other part is you know yes care about the production value of your work right now that does not mean that yours has to be you know the best visual piece but tons of small things you know those are there those tons of paper cuts which kill a portfolio right you have badly edited images all over have you left you know placeholder text in places have you your mock ups did you use the ones that you know you actually you used one which has you know some imagery which is not relevant or you've got spelling mistakes all over right now each of those individually is not not a deal breaker but it does show that attention to detail right yeah. so yeah, yeah. can you share this with you know your peers can you make sure that you get feedback before you send it in and um, the other part is just accessibility right now so often i have been sent like a link to somebody's website where you know it doesn't work or you know you need a password and then i have to email them saying hey listen you know 
I can't open your your case study. So think through the user experience of the person who's evaluating your portfolio a little bit as well, right? I think I think for me those are those are two things. And uh, yeah, you know, I think the other part is regardless of where you are at, right? Can you bring in a little bit of sure you're a fantastic illustrator, you're a great motion designer, but give me a little bit of a story, right? Sure. Three lines. That's it, right? Tell me about the brief. Tell me about the constraints here. Tell me about, you know, you did this in 15 minutes or this took you 15 hours, right? Give me a little bit of a peek behind the curtain as it were. Beautiful, beautiful. Thanks a lot. Yeah, that was a really good insight into what you look for in designers. And uh, Abhinit, uh, before we jump next, uh, let's take a quick break. And welcome back to the show. So taking on, I think um, we have to touch Rahul on the, uh, you briefly mentioned design unicorn and said, let's leave it aside. Uh, we are not the kind of show who will leave things aside. Uh, plus this was on our agenda anyways, we've been talking <laughs> about generalist sure. specialists for some time. Uh, so let's, let's dive there. Like this has been a raging debate for the longest time. I've heard arguments on both sides. There's this book. I don't know if you folks are familiar with it. It's called Range. And its subtitle is Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World or something like that. So obviously, it's clear what stance it takes. Then I've talked to designers who basically said that, you know what, like this design unicorn thing, it's almost like uh, exploitation in some ways, right? Because you do this also, you do that also. Can you do that also, right? And it barely leaves any room for a designer to really master one of the areas of what what design is. Where do you stand here? And if you want to avoid the whole, uh, you know, taking stand thing, then maybe you could talk a little bit about um, what role does this play in when you, you know, when you're running obvious and you, you obviously have different kinds of projects coming in. How do you think about this? Uh, do we need a designer with a generalist skill set? When do you hire a specialist? Sorry if it's and- too broad. But, no, and 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 I want to make it a bit uncomfortable also. If you can tell us, like, how do you defend or do you advocate the T-shaped designer philosophy? Well, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm happy to wade into the debate, right? I I sure. think that uh, uh, not not an uncomfortable conversation necessarily, yeah. but um, you know, a tool for each you know different problem that's thrown at you in some sense, right? Is sure. is my answer. When do generalists succeed? When do specialists succeed, right? Yep. There's different points at which they will each succeed. That will depend on the shape of the industry, that, you know, the stage of company, yep. their own career goals, right? Honestly, like, you know, one way to look at it is from the company's perspective, right? That I need X, right? And I need yep. this person to do this one really narrow thing. Or, you know, hey, listen, you know, everything's on fire. I just need anybody who can lift a bucket of water, right? That's, that's good enough. Now, the other way to look at it is also from what does the individual want, right? And today, I believe that there exists wide ranges of possibilities, right? (laughs) I think possibly the only controversial thing I might say is that maybe the debate started because the specialists, I mean, if you're a specialist, you have to be good at what you do. (laughs) Yes, that's kind of a given. Yeah. Right. And... I think that's that's really important, right? And um, also finding the right place for yourself, right? Are you finding fulfillment in your work? And can you find a place that rewards it, right? So sort of that sort of ikigai kind of philosophy for yourself, right? Yep. Um, yes, I think that, you know, in today's world, like I said, right? We, our industry is in one, is in a sort of a stage of hyper growth, right? It isn't an industry which has had a lot of time to settle down to find out, you know, that this is growing slowly, but steadily, etc. Right. So I think that there's greater mobility options for generalists, right? Mm -hmm. That's for sure. And, you know, similar to, you know, the way in which at one point, all engineers wanted to become product managers wanted to become CEOs, right? Now you have designers who've seen that that's a great path to influence. And, you know, of course, finance, you know, reward, let's say. Yep. 
So I know tons of designers who want to become product owners, product managers, whatever they're yep. called. Yep. And then, you know, I, I actually think I would love to see many more designers become CEOs and run their own businesses. Right? Oh, same here. Right. Like this is what I say every time somebody asks me about ESOPs and I'm like, there should be wealth creation and I want designers to be beneficiaries and I want more designers to start companies. Right. Like, so sorry to cut you off, but please continue. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Praise brother. Praise that. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, and then, you know, where can specialists exist, right? And the other thing to look at, right, is that our industry is also, you know, constantly being cannibalized by, from the bottom by tools, right? Yes. So I think that's, that's one thing to be very cognizant of, right? Today, anybody with a Canva subscription can be a print designer, Right. Yep. Today, anybody with a Squarespace account is a website designer, potentially an e-commerce designer. I'm sure that, you know, there's tools for mobile apps oh, and, yeah. and so on. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if you are a specialist, right, you do have to know, you know, where to pick your battles. Right. If you're a type designer or, or you know, you have a deep interest in typography. Right. Yep. It's harder to justify today spending you know weeks and months on selecting a typeface for your mobile app when you know google fonts allows you to compare 300 of them at the same time more or less right or or you know like google famously did put out you know 42 different variations and and let the algorithm choose right yeah the 50 shades of blue experiment there you go (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) <laughs> Bad habit of interruption. Sorry, please can No, no. That's uh, pain and pleasure in the same coin as it were. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that you do have to figure out, okay, now, you know, how do I make sure that I do my best craft? And how do I make sure that I'm rewarded for doing that, right? I may not have a role maybe, or maybe the best role for me is not within a fast moving startup, but it's within a place that actually values that skill set deeply and where, you know, the application of my skill set can create business outcomes that make sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like how many companies really need a new typeface built in this age, right? We can cry all we want about, we don't have a lot of type designers around, but yeah, people like the need is going down um, and tools. Yeah, that, that's, that's a really nice point. It is happening. I just saw Flutter flow the other day. It's basically Webflow for, for Flutter and there you pretty go. first there version, you go. pretty good quality. Right? Yep. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, technology is coming for our jobs, right? And that's a good thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, just expanding on that, right? Yeah. There's huge opportunities you know, once we expand it, right? So for instance, you know, one of my favorite type designers has spent a large, like a lot of her time over the last few years, uh, designing non-English scripts, right? Yep. Designing scripts for Indic languages, right? And, you know, that kind of thing is valued, right? So I think you yes. there are opportunities once you stop just looking at, you know, okay, you know, do I have a role at wherever, right? Whatever yeah. startup flavor of the month is. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was just going to say the same thing to Abhinit uh, that how many companies uh, are there who might need like a custom typeface, but yeah, I'm sure that answer will be very low, but um, yeah. in the Indian ecosystem, definitely like Ek type the foundry who specializes in Devanagari and much more regional scripts. Like if you look at their work and if you speak to them, uh, I've, I've done interview with Nupur Date, who's uh, uh, a founder there. Uh, and if you look at ITF or any other foundries uh, who are doing uh, Devanagari scripts, especially yeah, the core anatomy of all the fonts on Google for regional, the anatomy is the same. Hmm. So they're just making like small changes to like some, some small busier curves here and there uh, or whatever, like some, some teardrop in a different way, but the anatomy still remains the same. So if you look at the fonts, which uh, the typefaces, which are done by a type, you'll see complete radical shift in their offerings. So if you go at that, then that's like a different level of specialization altogether. Yeah. And it's not just about need also, Kedar. It's it's need, maybe a lot of people need, but how many people are going to get business value out of it? Right. Uh, that I think is harder because I we can point at a company and say, yeah, you need a custom typeface, but business value, right? That's becoming rarer and rarer. Like even in type, like there's dynamic typefaces coming now, mm-hmm. right? 
uh, no fonts, just numbers, just vary and you'll get infinite variations. So I think that's, uh, yeah, a lot of things happening at the same time. And sometimes certain specializations just go out of fashion. I think we have to accept that also. I don't know where this is heading, but interesting yeah. space to uh, dwell into. But your business yeah. value, what do you mean? Because I, I asked this guy, you're making like the first Odia font. And what is it helping? Who is it helping? Is it making business? And he said, Odisha mein books chapre. So then what you said, na, ki designers should make more money and then eventually become CEOs. That if you extrapolate the same concept here, they're getting educated and maybe tomorrow they will become designers. So it depends on like, what is the, the time frame you're looking at yep. for the value also. Yep. Yeah. Like, and you know, just building on that, I think um, one of the things that's, you know, I'm seeing as a trend is that many specialists are choosing not to be employed by a single place. Right. Yep. Yep. You know, I don't know what it's not. I think the infrastructure for working independently uh, has improved significantly. Yeah. People are more comfortable with it. I think that, you know, the idea that, you know, you don't have to be employed by a large company or even a startup, you know, that you can make, you know, an excellent life for yourself while remaining independent is gaining a lot of traction. Right. In the same way that, you know, we went from, you know, society only valuing you if you had a government job to, you know, uh, an MNC job to, you know, Infosys to startup to perhaps the future is, you know, somebody who deeply cares about their craft, splitting their time across many, many different spaces. And I see that happening for a lot of designers, right, as we get more creative with ways of payment with, you know, the way to actually reward people or creators, yeah. Uh, so I think that's that's really exciting there. Yeah. yeah, very true. I think we'll we'll change gears a bit uh, because we are um, we are far from our main thread. <laughs> yes, but yeah, we'll uh, change gears and come to the main track again or main lane again, which is um, so being an independent studio, being an independent setup, and I've I've seen you talking about um, gender diversity and and in fact it comes across uh, that it's a important thing to be discussed or, or um, at least addressed. So is there anything which you guys uh, consciously do uh, to maintain diversity in general, or it's also important. Like we, we were having a chat with Vasudha and she said that uh, five uh, white men, uh, what was it? Uh, Avine? Five white men sitting together, drinking brandy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Drinking scotch. scotch, drinking yeah. scotch yeah. yeah. Uh, so that drives a different kind of outcome and, so on and so forth. So, so you have any insights there which you would like to share? Sure. You know, I keep thinking about, or rather we've spent a lot of time trying to figure out how can we build a company which is better representative of the world that we exist within, right? That's for me is kind of how we define diversity, right? I think it's a fancy way of saying, hey, listen, this is what the world looks like. Why does your company look like a very small subset of that world? And I think that, you know, we've been lucky enough that, you know, all the products that we work on go out to what we call country scale populations, right? They go out to not, you know, millions of people, but hundreds of millions of people. And I think, you know, all of us actually have had the privilege of working on, on similar kinds of things. And I firmly believe that if you're building for the world, then, then your company has to be representative of that world. Right. It's a very simple calculus for me in some sense. Yeah. So yeah, how do you make sure now obviously that isn't the case in companies today, right? Yeah. They don't look like the world. And you know, depending on what lens you look at, there are different kinds of or different facets of diversity, right? Gender is of course the most visible and the first one that most organizations go after. But there are so many others, right? Ability is on a spectrum. There are people who may not be able to see them, people who may not be able to, you know, climb stairs, whatever, right? There's, or there's speak English. <laughs> exactly, right? There's, you know, tons of things, right? Orientation, uh, sexuality, gender, caste in India, race, so on and so forth. Right? Now, you know, in, in the industry that we're part of, I, I was told, I think I looked at some study and that, you know, we're an industry which is 92% male, Right. And has, you know, 7% women in that, right? So that for me was a really, like an eye-opener because... This uh, is at least with, 
sorry this is in india or uh, across the globally world? globally oh. and i think india is slightly worse than that right yes. it's 93% or something like that uh, i think this was uh, if i remember correctly uh, stack overflow does a annual survey of developers yeah and this was based on some of those numbers if i remember correctly Right. and you know to be you know we started off like that right yeah you know founders of obvious uh, we were all men uh, we were all within like you know two or three years of each other we mostly came from you know a similar socio economic background you know watched the same tv when we were growing up etc etc right and i think for us it was it's been a process today i'm pretty happy that you know actually i think just Two months ago, somebody told me, uh, like you know, Monica, who leads our people stuff, said, "Hey, listen, there are now more women in Obvious than there are men, right?" And for me, that was like great, right? We've we've at least worked on this aspect of things and and done decently. And what's actually I'm more happy about is that seventy uh, percent of our leadership is now women, right? So I think our whole direction, uh, the things, the way in which we look at policy, all of those things changes. completely and more importantly right the way in which we build products changes completely right and i think that's that's most exciting that's so rare rahul it just feels good to hear it yes yes definitely and i mean honestly i think you know you were talking about what are the things that would bring people to work at obvious right yeah. we've identified that you know i mean people talk about this being a priority externally but uh, you know i don't know if that's backed by as much action as talk and so we've identified that this is an area where you know we believe we can build a more resilient a stronger business if we focus on diversity as a key sort of principle of company building yeah yeah and i think as a design agency i think it's it's for a designer it's i think doubly important not to say it's not important for everyone but this profession like we we all talk about participatory design we all talk about diversity of perspectives being important to you know the quality of design so i think for a design team or an agency or a company i think it has to be there like i would doubt your design skills right if if you didn't have diversity in your team and if this was not a top of mind problem for you but moving on from there and i i'm conscious of the time so we'll skip a few things and jump straight to the obvious handbook that's a really well written piece of uh, document and thanks for sharing it with the world um can you please talk about it a little right was there a moment that solidified your thinking on yeah we need to institute something of this kind right uh, what what was that moment what was the problem and how did it help sure So I think we started off uh, you know as with many things that we do we started off because you know we kind of realized that we'd messed up right nobody knew what anybody else was doing nobody knew how certain things were meant to be going and you know I think companies have natural inflection points where those things happen and we'd reached one of them right so it was born out of it was born out of need and urgency uh, but you know we were lucky enough that it had I think an outsized impact on us as an organization honestly right mm. so you know it possibly started from a very simple thing i think and if i remember correctly right it actually started with a really really funny thing which was that um i think we'd grown to about you know we're still small but we were you know it expanded to about 15 12 or 15 people right so you know for me the metric is you know can i seat my entire company around my dining table and you know you stop being able to do that at a certain point and you know this was that point right you cannot at least not around my dining table you can't seat 15 people right uh, <laughs> so it started off that you know we all left the office one day and i you know usually leave at about like i was leaving at about like 6 or 6:30 or something came back the next day and um, i realized that the door was wide open right and uh, somebody had forgotten to lock it right and uh, you know everything was open the lights were on the you know back then you know our most prized possessions were you know these imax that we had and so on and so forth right and we were like what's going on right and then we realized that nobody you know it was it was just sort of common sense earlier that okay you know last person out and everybody knew okay the last person out would have a key and close the door it's turn off lights etc 
So we realized that, you know, from that really, you know, silly beginning, we realized that we needed to write down stuff so that everybody knew what was happening, right? You knew everything from who to call when the internet went down to uh, how do you run a design sprint to how do you run a one-on-one, right? Like, so all of, all of those different things, because all of those break in sort of similar ways to, you know, the destructive potential of a door left unlocked, right? Yeah. And um, the things that you value, right? Back then it was your IMAX. Today it's probably, you know, people and culture and, you know, some of the principles. All of those can be stolen very easily if you don't have a shared understanding of how those need to be performed or practiced, right? Sure. So I think it emerged out of that. There was a period where I decided, okay, I'm not going to do any client work. And I spent two months writing every single thing down that I could think of, right? Uh, and, you know, so that's why it has a lot of very transactional stuff, right? Like, when is a holiday to, you know, how do you get paid? Or, you know, a few years ago, we had an office where we had lots of cats. So where's the cat food kept, right? And so on and so forth. To today, you know, how do we make sure that everybody who joins obvious, you know, has a similar and good experience when they when they join? And their first 30, 60, 90 days are good for the person. They have, you know, expectations set well, et cetera, et cetera, right? And I think that, you know, we then said, hey, listen, we need to be, and, you know, internally we call this being public by default, right? And I think increasingly the way that I look at it is, you know, there's the map and there's territory, right? And the map is not the territory, right? But how could you, you know, could you with the right set of tools, make the territory and the map the same, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So can you actually work and can your, can your site of work be documentation simultaneously, right? So that's something that we also strive to do, right? Do you have to document your design separately and is your Figma file separate, right? Or is there that sense of unity and cohesion throughout, right? So I think And, you know, honestly, like it's constantly things that we are rethinking and we're, you know, shifting tools from one thing to the other, et cetera, et cetera. But we're constantly saying, okay, can this be better? Because we always find things that break, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Thanks a lot. That brings back so many memories. I remember back at Left Shift, our first playbook was written when we realized that our library suddenly had no books, right? And, and, And the document started with everything runs on trust right and then we had to write down that uh you know please keep the books and they, they hadn't gone anywhere right sure. they were just all over the office right and yeah. we were like okay like we need some yeah. rules but it's the tiny things which spark you know uh, documentation and similarly at gojek i actually bought you know did the equivalent of getting a bigger dining table or tried to for a long time before i realized it won't fail i need something else and that's how we uh, ended up documenting the career ladders and all I also remember my conversation with Dhruv one time at Gojek regarding this. Cool. Kedar? Yes. Uh, I think we are done uh, with most of the questions that I have, that we had thought of. Uh, but just to conclude, Rahul, um, like you, you don't come from a, which is a great thing uh, to have that you don't come from a design school background. I have my certain thoughts around it, but I would like to know your perspective of maybe like sharing pros and cons of not coming from a design background and we can wrap it up. Yeah. I I think (laughs) this is one of those, you know, um, questions that designers love to, to sort of talk about endlessly. Right. (laughs) And I'm no exception. I think, you know, before going into the specifics, I think that, you know, the self-taught versus the design school, they each overvalue the other experience and simultaneously, you know, undervalue it in some sense, right? Uh, and that, you know, paradox is, is what everything else is built on. So, you know, it's a, it's a sort of a, yeah, it's a castle built on very, very shaky foundations, the whole argument itself. If I were to make some very broad generalizations, I think that, um, you know, we, you, you see a tremendous process focus on people who've gone through design school. And that's something they have to unlearn. And equally, right, uh, you see a strong outcome focus on the non-design school folks. And that's something they have to unlearn, right? So there is that meeting point in the middle, right? 
<laughs> yeah, I've 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 sort of been lucky enough that you know my co-founder has enough design degrees for the both of us. He has uh, he he collects uh, design degrees, you know, in the same way that um, the rest of us can, you know, collect um, pencils or or you know <laughs> notebooks and so on. But yeah, I think that the other part that I've seen, you know, people who've gone through a particular kind of design school, and this is also changing, right? We're getting new yeah. kinds of design schools today. Mm. Uh, you're getting boot camps. You're getting cohort based you know, groups or whatever it is, you're getting uh, education at different levels, right? For people who are already in the industry and who are looking to either grow in their craft or move into leadership. And, and you know, like I said, right, I think that's part of that broader phenomenon of the entire industry growing much, much larger. Uh, I think one thing with design school is that you often have, you know, designers who come out of that struggle with the difference between academia and industry. Right. Yeah. Because those are those are quite tangential to each other. You know, so there's there's the idealism, you know, the, the sort of the initial idealism, which then, you know, meets uh, the pragmatism and, you know, the the sort of motivations of a company, which is, you know, just raised, you know, X hundred million dollars of, of money. And on the other side, right, I think I think the self-taught, like, you know, and I've, I think I've, I've experienced this myself deeply, that, you know, there's often basics that are shaky, right? Yeah. I think that uh, I would have loved to have had a deep dive into typography at some point, right, since we were speaking about that, or, um, or you know, color theory or 101 other subjects. Yeah, I, I miss that every day, like. You know, or or just the ability to draw. Abhinit, I don't know if you can draw for nuts. I know Kedar is excellent at it. No, no, but... not at all. No, no. You're better you than both of us put together, I'm assuming. I haven't seen Rahul your drawing, so no offense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're lucky. I never passed intermediate exam. As in, I never uh, dared to attempt it also. But Yeah, but I miss those things. Like when I see people who've, who've gotten that uh, environment where they could work on you know, they, they had the luxury of working on fundamentals. Sadly, I was learning computer programming fundamentals, which do come in handy, but I do miss uh, not having time. Like now in my 30s, I you'll find myself geeking out on typography, but you don't find time. I wish I'd done this early. Okay. Mm. I, I generally have a chat with this Sarang Kulkarni. Uh, you know him, Rahul? The egg type founder? No, Farang. no, I don't. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. When, I, when I go to their office, they're just playing with like some random typefaces and I don't know what up 1960s mein ye newspaper mein ye dek, ye cut karke, like like really geeky stuff and I wish sometimes I'll just do internship here and I'll join you guys I'll quit everything and he said first better don't learn font design or type design learn typography that will be much more helpful so hey what can you do what can you do for that I would say Need Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you, Rahul, uh, for giving your time. It was real, real like pleasure to have you. A uh, lot of uh, food for thought and a lot of insights. Uh, thank you for sharing. And Abhinit, we'll, we'll catch up soon again. So on, on the ending note, uh, I'll just I have a small plug. So thanks for listening till the end. Uh, currently, I'm heading the design at jupiter.money and we are, in, we are hiring at all levels. So visit uh, jupiter.money slash careers. You can also follow Audiogan on Instagram at Audiogan Moments uh, or visit audiogan.com for more GAN sessions. You guys want to plug anything? Guests first. Well, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> Obviously, isn't hiring right now? We're always hiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I look forward to, uh, you know, colleagues who challenge and, and uh you know, make me think more creatively. So do do look at our website for more information. Superb. And I'll also, since Dhruv was also planning to join us, uh, we'll just give a shout out to him. Hey, Dhruv. Uh, we'll, we'll have both of you next time again. Avinid? Yep. Uh, I design at Gojek. Uh, we do hire from time to time. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Gojek Design. And... Yeah, feel free to reach out. And as and when we hire, we'll post updates there. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thanks so much, Kedar. Thanks. Thanks for being such a great host, both of you. (laughs) See you soon. And that's it from today's GAN session. For show notes and more GAN, visit audiogan.com. 
If you like this podcast, please don't forget to check our other interesting podcast on IVM Network. You can listen to us on IVM Podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or any of your favorite podcasting apps. To stay tuned, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at IVM Podcast. And if you wish to connect with me, I am at Audiogan Moments on Instagram. Until then, take care. Hello! It's been a great week on the IVM Podcast Network. On this round is on me. Gauri is joined by Shweta Nanda. They talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish thing, Anish welcomes ultra marathon runner Shivani Gharat. Shivani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner, and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash, and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. On Think Fast, Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions, and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuni One, Sheila Dutta is joined by Dinika Bhatia. CEO and founder of Natigrities. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on ivmpodcasts.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to. Appreciate them, rate them, and review them wherever you are listening to them. You can also check out all our other shows on YouTube.com/slash/IVMPodcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week: Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, Kotak Privy League Program, and HDFC Mutual Fund. Thanks, guys. Without you, this would not be possible. Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about Web3, blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IBM Podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from.